0: Hello, and welcome to the commentary for Lesson 358. This is Isaiah 7. So here we have Isaiah's message for King Ahaz, the bad king. And we start off with something... This whole passage sort of confused me in the context of what we just learned in 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles 28. So... Um, I'll get more into that in just a minute, but it's interesting. This starts off this passage with, um, you know, it talks about how King Reason of Syria and King and Pekah, son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. It says, however, they were unable to carry out their plan. Now, remember in 2 Kings 16, it said that, yes, they were trying to, it said in verse 5, then King Rezan of Aram and King Pekah of Israel came up to attack Jerusalem. They besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. Okay. And then in Second Chronicles, it expanded a little more of that on that. And it said that in a single day, Pekah, son of Remaliah, Israel's king, killed 120,000 of Judah's troops. All of them experienced warriors because they had abandoned the Lord. Then Zechariah a warrior from Ephraim, killed Maasaiah, the king's son, Azrakam, the king's palace commander, and Elkanah, the king's second in command. So remember, he killed, King Ahaz lost his son and two high officials. And 100, 120,000 troops. And then remember, they also captured 200,000 women and children, but they ended up releasing them back to Samaria eventually. But... I remember thinking, well, that's a catastrophic blow. But as I went through this prophecy from Isaiah and this warning, um, it made me think differently. So yes, it was 120,000 troops. But remember back in Numbers when Moses was literally the book of the Bible, Numbers is they're counting everything, right? Taking stock of what they had um, before they entered the promised land to conquer the land. They needed to count their troops. They did a census. They got everything together, all their supplies. They basically did a big, huge inventory. And in that inventory, I do remember, if I'm ro- if I remember correctly, they had, they counted about 600,000, uh, troops. And I remember thinking, wow, that's a lot of people, and that's just the troops, not counting their families, their wives and children. So um, presumably, this could have been a mass of at least a million people easily. So I don't know, it's funny that I remember that number because I I don't remember much of anything. I have a horrible memory, but um, usually, so... In context, I think when you compare to how big their masses were, way back in numbers, and that was, I'm assuming centuries ago, I'm not going to go do the math, but they had a loss of 120,000 troops maybe is not that significant. I mean, obviously it's a loss of life and he lost his son and two high, uh, high officials, but Maybe in the grand scheme of things, that's God's way, clearly, of punishing King Ahaz. But, God did not intend to destroy him. See, I think I thought, when I read this, and then I read Isaiah, I thought, okay, so, at first, God didn't destroy him. And, they went to besiege Ahaz, but could not conquer him. But then, later on, because of Ahaz's guilt and, and lack of faith, God decided to allow them to devastate Ahaz and his people and his land. Um, but the reading in Isaiah tells a different story. And so it helps me see things differently. So I'm glad that they put this here. And that's also why it really helps to read this chronologically, because if I was reading Second Kings, and then i read isaiah in the normal order by the time i got there i wouldn't have any recollection of king ahaz and what happened i'll be honest so um so anyways now we get to isaiah and it says like i going back to where it says however they were unable to carry out their plan so this is an indicator that yes they did do damage And they took it too far when they tried to enslave the women and children. And then they backed up a little bit um, to ease their guilt and sent them back to Samaria. So their plan didn't quite go the way they wanted. They had hoped to besiege Ahaz, but they were not able to conquer him. Okay, so then it says in verse 2, The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. So they are fearful of this alliance and they know that they're going to come under attack. And this is a beautiful thing. So verse three says, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Take your son, Shir Jashub, and go out to meet King Ahaz. Now, this is cool. That name, Sheer Jashub, Isaiah's own son was named, you know how God, I mean, Isaiah is a prophet. So, because this name means something so specific, I believe God must have had a hand in the naming of Isaiah's son. Makes sense, because Isaiah was a prophet. But anyways, the meaning of the name Sheer Jashub means a remnant will return. And so that plays in very much. When you continue, it says you will find him. So he wants to take his son, Sheer-Jashub, meaning a remnant will return, go out to meet King Ahaz, and basically reassure him. I love how verse 4 says, tell him to stop worrying. Don't you wish when you were worried that a prophet's son would come and say, hey, I got a message for you from God. He says, don't worry about it. What you're worried about is not going to happen. It's going to be okay be really nice to have that assurance. Um, But we have to trust in things unseen, unheard, and just trust that even if it's not okay, sometimes we have to trust that God knows what he's doing. And even through the most difficult times, we have to believe that because we don't see all sides of things that God knows. First of all, he desires what's best for us. And sometimes from our perspective, it doesn't seem like what's best for us, but in the long run and the big picture that only God knows, it is. So we just have to trust that. Anyways, um, it says him, tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying we will do this and capture it for ourselves and we will install the sun as Judas, uh, the son of Tabeel as Judas King. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. Okay. So this is the prophecy that King Ahaz gets when Isaiah's son, Shear Jashub goes to tell him to stop worrying. He says, this invasion will never happen. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital. Basically saying, Syria's not as strong as you think. Israel's not as strong as it seems. I got this. And then it says, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. So it's, so Sheer Jashub, Isaiah's son, is reiterating to him, do not worry, they're not as strong as you think, and your faith has to be strong here. Unfortunately, King Ahaz's faith was not strong, because later we see in verse 10, and we don't know how much later, but the Lord sent a message to King Ahaz. He said, ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, and you can make it as anything you want. It can be a really tough sign, and God will do it to prove to you that he's got your back. Verse 12 says, but the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Now, we do know in another part of scripture, and I'm not going to try to look it up. It does say that you should not test the Lord your God. And so maybe that's what he was referring to. Um, But my study Bible says, you know, so in a way, his response, I will not test the Lord seems like a righteous thing to say. But God had told him to ask, right? A messenger of the Lord came and said, ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation. If someone came to me and said, ask for confirmation, I'd ask for confirmation because I would assume that God had a hand in that. But it's possible what my study Bible points out is that Ahaz didn't really want to know what God would say. I know, I know, he says he's going to take care of it, but don't we have that tendency to just say, God, I know you say you got my back, but just in case, I'm going to handle this my way too. Just, you're hedging your bets. And so it's sort of an excuse, the fact that he didn't want to test the Lord, I think. Um, we could do that too, like, uh, we don't want to bother God with it, or we just assume he has better things to do, so I'm going to take care of this another way. Um, but we have to be careful about making those excuses and, um, not let those excuses keep us from communicating with God. We can't let anything keep us from hearing him and obeying him. And those are just excuses. So then Isaiah says, after King Ahaz says, I will not test the Lord like that. He says, listen, you royal family of David, isn't it enough that you exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? Like, are you kidding me? I'm a prophet of God. I told you to test God and you won't? Fine. The Lord himself will give you a sign. And this is what is crucial scripture. It says." In verse 14, Isaiah seven fourteen. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we know this is about Jesus with this prophecy about Jesus. And we do know that the people of Israel believed and knew that a Messiah would come. Um, but... I guess the timing of this doesn't quite mesh. And I'm not going to pretend to understand exactly what happens later on and exactly when. uh, Because I'm sure if I had that knowledge, I could lay it all out for you. But I I really don't. And it would take me so long to figure it out. So um, I will just say that I don't know how this plays out perfectly. But because my study Bible says, uh, I'll just read you what it says... Um, because it seems that this is a concern of many, the timing, okay? Because it wasn't for quite some time that Jesus came onto the scene. And um, here in this prophecy, it says, By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. And then God goes on to tell him what will happen with the other nations and what um, the repercussions will be to the land of Judah. It says the enemy will swarm around them like flies and bees. And flies and bees are uh, symbolic of God's judgment. And so they will come under God's judgment. And the enemy will come in vast hordes. And in that day, the Lord will hire a razor from beyond the euphrates river the king of assyria and use it to shave off everything your land your crops and your people so god has a plan to punish but not destroy but it didn't have to be that way he told king ahaz that it would never happen unless your faith is firm i cannot make you stand firm king ahaz did not So God will punish, but not destroy. Let me read you what uh, my study Bible says about this uh, prophecy of the virgin birth in Emmanuel. It says, likely this prophecy has a double fulfillment. This could be a young woman from the house of Ahaz who was not married, um, which usually virgin back then didn't necessarily mean What it does now. There's a lot of controversy around that word virgin. Um, It could just mean a young woman of marrying age. Okay. So it says likely this prophecy has a double meaning. It could just be a random young woman from the house of Ahaz would marry and have a son. Before three years passed, one year for pregnancy and two for the child to be old enough to talk, the two invading kings would be destroyed. Okay but we know that in Matthew 123 Matthew quotes Isaiah 7:14 this verse and he refers to that to show the fulfillment of the prophecy in the virgin Mary giving birth to Christ so we know obviously that this is prophecy about god but don't you remember in um, psalms and in other scripture that prophecy often does have a double meaning it has an immediate or sometimes soon implication but then it also has a double meaning in reference to christ and so i could see how that's a possibility and maybe that's the problem of timing um that it could be that this had a double meaning as so often these prophecies do. So I'm not going to pretend to understand all that, but I just wanted to share that with you. So, um, and basically it says in verse 21, in that day, a farmer will be fortunate to have a cow and two sheep or goats left. So he's, so that tells us that, God's not planning on wiping them out completely, and he promised that, so you can be sure. Nevertheless, there will be enough milk and honey milk for everyone because so few people will be left in the land. Well, that's the sad reality. They will eat their fill of yogurt and honey. I remember when God was handing over the promised land to them, um... It was such a beautiful picture because he said the land. He called it the land flowing with milk and honey. So the land is flowing with milk and honey. Um, it's not so much flowing now, or it won't be flowing, but they will have their fill of yogurt and honey, milk and honey. So, um, I guess the takeaway would certainly be that when God tells us to stop worrying. We have to trust that he means what he says. God made a promise. And we have to p- stop putting our faith in other things. Remember, King Ahaz decided to put his faith in the king of Assyria. And he made a an alliance with him. And that helped for a while, but it will come back to bite him in the end. So um, God is the only protector. He is the only rescuer. And, um, unfortunately King has failed to see that and understand that on behalf of his people. So they had to pay the price for that, but, um, that's really it for today. So we'll stop there. I hope you all have a great day and I will talk to you soon.